Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. About how it's going to be different. I want you to ask yourself um, this question. What is different about a person who's truly close to God? Everyone knows that one person, right? That they just really seem like they're close to God. And you, you know that something's different about them, but you don't know what. Y'all know what I'm saying? And what's funny is that those people are usually not commonly asked about what it is that they do differently. It, it's usually talked about third party, right? Everyone else talks about them instead of talking to them. And... When it comes to what's truly different about a person that is close to God like that, I was really, I really felt led to a story of a, of a woman named Mary in the Bible. And she, she has these little parts in the New Testament to where she's commended and, and talked about a lot in churches. And I want us to really look at a more emotional uh in-depth look at her life and we're going to look at starting off John chapter 12 verse 1 through 5 and this is the most commonly told story about Mary and in this verse it says six days before the Passover celebration Jesus arrived in Bethany the home of Lazarus the man he had raised from the dead a dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And... Today, we're going to look at these different stories, and we're going to do like a scripture breakdown. And we're going to look at certain parts of these verses and unpack them of what's really going on. Y'all dig that? And because in scripture, it's so easy to read over something without it really impacting your spirit or your mind. And it's like when Jesus is crucified, it's in one verse. I mean, think about that. It, when you watch the, if you've watched the Passion of the Christ, it's like, oh my God, it's like, it's a whole movie of him being crucified. But when you read it in scripture, it's as simple as, and then they crucified Jesus along with the criminal on his, on his left and right. I mean, that, that is such a simple verse for something that was filled with agony and emotion and pain. And so we're going to do the, we're going to, we're going to unpack these verses and see what is really going on in Mary's life. And we're going to start, this is the end of her story in scripture. We're going to start from the end and go to the beginning to try to find out what it is that is really different about her. Y'all ready? Y'all feel good about that? And so the backdrop of this story, it says, just like right here, it says the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. It's like, Oh yeah, and he raised him from the dead. It's, that's a huge deal. Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary. They're all siblings. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They're all siblings. And Lazarus had died. Jesus showed up and rose him from the dead. And so they are completely grateful. Lazarus was dead for four days at, before Jesus uh, caused him to rise up from the dead. And I mean, anyone that has had a death in their family or of a loved one or a close one is an agonizing thing. It's the most miserable thing to ever go through. And so the fact that Jesus literally turned their incredible grief and mourning into something joyful and dancing instead, they're so grateful and they're, they're having this, this dinner and this celebration for Jesus uh, uh, that they prepared in <clears throat> Jesus' honor. And it says that Martha served... Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And it says, then Mary. And this then Mary part is what is really a 
a peculiar part because it's while everyone else is acting appropriate, Mary is having this emotional episode where she, it says that she took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume and she she anointed Jesus's feet with it. In another gospel, it says that she broke this alabaster jar, this expensive jar with very expensive perfume that she broke it and poured it all over Jesus's feet. And that in this time that uh, there's some theologians that say that it was worth over a year's wages. That So imagine what, uh, even for, let's say middle-class income, $30,000 perfume, like, $30,000 perfume and she breaks it and just an- and pours it out on Jesus' feet. That's crazy, right? And it says that she was weeping and crying over Jesus' feet. And that as she was crying and wiping his feet, that she was using her hair to wipe the tears off of his feet. This is like the most insane experience anyone could ever <laughs> have, right? And this is all while they're just trying to have dinner and celebrate. And throughout this message today, I really want to give a comparison between religion and raw devotion. And here we see such a clear comparison between Martha throughout this story. It usually represents the traditional sense of religion because it says that Martha served, then Mary does all this. And religion constantly blinds us to the awesomeness of Christ and always pushes us to routine and what is appropriate. She was, Martha was doing what would, anyone would normally do out of a sign of respect and gratefulness is let us have you over for dinner. We're going to throw a party in your honor. And in this culture, that was a very common thing to do. And it was just routine and appropriate. But for Mary, this is the most awesome miracle that she could ever ask for. The prayers that that you think would never be answered, answered. And she is so moved in her heart, so grateful that she ignores what's appropriate and completely pours herself out and completely humbles herself. And the truth is, Christ, Jesus Christ in person, what he did was the most awesome thing of that time and even today to where we tell those stories like, oh my God, I couldn't even imagine that. We think it's a fairy tale because it's so incredible. We can't even believe it to happen. That's how awesome God is. That's how awesome Jesus is. And when I say awesome, I don't mean like surfing and like, man, that tubular was awesome. I mean, where awesome roots in the word that awe, that I am in awe, that I can't even speak because of how amazing and awesome God is. And religion constantly just puts God into a box and puts it into what's appropriate to do right now. You don't, you don't change yourself. You don't uh, really break down in front of everybody. You just do what's appropriate right now. And Raw passion and true gratitude compels us to, to a place outside of ourselves where our souls truly pours out of our hearts. Mary is like not even aware that all these people are around. She doesn't even care. She's just literally pouring out her gratitude on Christ. And the way that she does it, pouring out everything she had, this was an act of worship. And her worship was personal. It was so intimate and individual. It was unique. I mean, you never read anywhere else in the Bible someone worshiping God in this way. It was something so personal and so unique. And it was something that cost her something. It's something that costs her something. And worship is costly. It's costly of the way you appear in front of others. It's costly of time. It's costly of energy. It's costly of emotion. If you've ever had a, a time where you've gone to a place where it's like a night of worship, it's by the time that you leave, you feel exhausted even though you feel so good. Because your emotions in worship cost so much that if you spend an hour, two hours in worship, 
you are so exhausted at the end of the night, it feels like you had an eight-hour workday. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And and I'm the, the fact that she poured herself out is also a humbling thing to do. Wiping uh, in that culture, in the Jewish culture, and especially in that time, a woman's hair was, was represented as a woman's glory. And it was something that was honored and respected among women. And so the fact that she's getting the, the thing that is precious to her and using it to wipe Jesus' feet with her tears. I mean, just that imagery in our time is something so humbling. It was exponentially more humbling to do in that time. Does that make sense? And the, her act of worship was so humbling and so out of herself. She didn't care how she looked or appeared to others. And that kind of worship is influential. It says that it filled the entire house with that, with that aroma of that perfume. And it's an imagery of what that raw worship looks like. If you've known a person that like you just know that they're close to God, when they are in the room, it feels different, doesn't it? When If you see them during worship, it compels you to want to worship more too. I've been to, there's been times in worship where I've seen someone just like going off and I'm just like, dang, like I'm over here thinking about Denny's and they're, they're like pressing into God. And it, it makes me want to forget about myself, forget about what I'm doing and worship God that much more. See, worship like that is influential. And, and leading into to the end of this, this passage, it says that, but Judas, but Judas Iscariot, and he talks about what it should have been used for. And it's a common thing with people that have this raw worship of God, who are literally pressing into God, that they are most commonly criticized by those around them in the church. That even though others speak well of them, there's, there's so much criticalness uh, within those conversations. So much judgment. The, the young, young people that I've dealt with in ministry, even for myself, those who were really pressing into God were weird to those around them. You know what I'm saying? It's like someone that's pressing into God so much. Maybe you and your family... Uh, maybe your whole family is generally Christian or something like that. But when you are devoting your time and you're doing a fast now, you're doing this, all of a sudden it becomes weird. The first time I started fasting, I stopped talking about it with my relatives because it was so criticized and judged. And it was just like, why are you doing all that? You don't have to do all that for God. And it just appeared weird to those who were not pursuing God in that way. And with with people that are really worshiping God and trying to find that devotion, it's criticized, it's judged, and it's misunderstood. People always think of what they would have done if they were in that position. And she was the one that had the perfume, and she had the decision of what to do with it. She chose to pour it all out at Jesus' feet. Judas said, well, that was a waste. What I would have done is sold it and given it all to the poor. That would have been a lot more productive. And see, religion, again, looks at what is productive or seemingly positive rather than the simple fact of glorifying God, of honoring God. It would rather be productive than to lift up the name of Jesus. And true worship all, all of our religion is supposed to, our faith is supposed to point to Jesus. And religion constantly says, well, it should have been done this way. It should have been done that way. And when you even go in depth of, of Christian history and the times and even in the U.S. where there was really crazy revivals that sound like they're out of this world, that they were made up. There's, there's one story of uh, the Zuzu Street Revival. And it was this, a re they call it a revival, but it was where God's Spirit was so potent in this place that crazy, super spiritual and miraculous things were happening to where people were showing up to experience God because they would experience God. 
to where people that would just enter into the building where this revival was happening, they were having to have church every single day. And that when people would just show up, that they would literally fall to the ground out of being just so overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. That the fire department was called on the church over and over because it literally looked like there was a fire on top of the building. That weird spiritual things were going on. And the day that it stopped was when the person that, that was like leading this, like this, this spiritual time where all of the... It, all of these people around him, all of these other pastors and leaders started telling him, well, you really need to get this under control. You need to start putting an opening and close time. You need to start putting a routine and a schedule to this revival. And the minute that he put a schedule to when people could show up and put his hands on it, everything stopped. And it just shows stories like that of how religion wants to control the power of God. It wants to control spiritual things. But it, God only allows His Spirit to be overflowed like that when it's just simple, raw devotion and pursuit. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I want to just reiterate that when you are pursuing God in a serious way of raw devotion, just like Mary, she was so misunderstood. Everyone else in that room thought that she was crazy, that she was over the top, that she was being unnecessary. But to Jesus, he rebuked everybody else and said, she's, she's doing something greater than any of you. Even though you don't understand what she's doing, I do. And I see her heart. And with Mary, I feel like her whole story, if you don't look closely enough, you don't realize how she is constantly misunderstood. She's constantly just not fitting in to the norm. She, she constantly doesn't fit in to what people expect of her. And I want us to go to back up to this story right before all of this gratitude of her coming out in her worship. Where did it come from? And what was it like for her when all of this was happening? And so we're going to go back to when Jesus showed up and rose Lazarus from the dead. And I want us to look at before Lazarus rose from the dead. Because it's before the miracle happens that people don't really talk about. It's before that person is really close to God that people don't really talk about. And it says in John chapter 11, starting verse 17 through 20, and we're going to focus specifically on Mary. And so we're going to jump around a little bit. It says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. I want us to focus on that before moving on. It says that, but Mary stayed in the house. Every other passage of scripture, we see Mary was the one that was always going to Jesus first. This is the only spot where we see Mary staying away from him. And the struggle that we go through, the struggles that we go through, cause us to stay in our pain. We... It causes us to stay in the pain so that we don't have to confront God with those raw emotions and questions. Have you ever been so upset with God, so upset with your situation, the pain, that you just can't find it within yourself to even pray? You, the, you can't find it within yourself to go to church. It's like you're not wanting to confront God with what you're really going through. And so it's not that you just go crazy and do anything bad, but you just stay away from Him. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Especially when it's raw what you're going through. And continuing on, after Jesus talks to Mary, it says, then she, then she, Martha, returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him and Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And I want us to stop right here for a second. 
And one thing I want us to reflect on is that even when we push God away, He still wants to see us. He still wants to see you. And Jesus had stayed outside in the village. That Everything is going on in their house, and instead of just being another one of the people mourning with Mary, in this culture too, everything is... They, they had people that literally would just come and mourn with you. I mean, we do that at funerals now, but people would literally go that don't even know you just to mourn with you. And all these people, I mean, funerals are already terrible enough. I hate going to funerals because all these people that you, that barely know show up. And especially if you're the one closest to the person that passed, they're always going up to you and saying something stupid. And how are you doing? It's like, it's the worst question to ask. <laughs> and having to go through all that. And so Mary is just in the midst with an atmosphere of all of her pain just being mourned and mourned and mourned. And it says that Jesus stayed outside. And that's one thing that's different about God is that He doesn't, he doesn't always just do what we expect. It's like we expect that from people when we're going through something. Don't you have, don't you, ex- when you're going through something, you expect the same people to say kind of the same thing. I know what you're going through. It's, you know, everything happens for a reason. You, ex- you have those expectations that everyone's saying the same thing. And it just becomes like, you become desensitized by it. It says that Jesus stayed outside. He did something completely different than everybody else. And, One thing about this is that no matter how much we resist God, He still invites us to come to Him, to be with Him. And He rarely intrudes or enters without being invited. He won't won't force Himself onto you. It's very rare. We, We hardly ever see that in Scripture where He intrudes even though you say no. Some, some people, preachers, they say that God is a gentleman and he doesn't force himself on you. But it's, it's so much more than that, that he doesn't push us more than we're willing to go with him. And because of that, if left uninvited, it can leave us feeling like he's outside of our misery or like he's not really there. Because we try to isolate ourselves from God and we push Him away, when we don't see Him in our misery, we say, see, He's not even here. But He's not going to show up unless we want Him there. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And it can be a a self-defeating thing to do when we don't allow God in in those times of pain. Now let's continue on with the verse. It said, So, When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. I want us to stop here again. And that's why I meant when I said we're going to unpack these verses as we go. This emotion, I mean, it says that she fell at his feet. And the first thing that she says to God, the first thing that she says to Jesus is, why weren't you here? If you were here, if you would have actually showed up, something would have been different. And isn't that the cry of our heart in so many of the situations we've gone through? God, where are you? Why didn't you show up? If you had been here, things would have been different. That's the very first thing that she says to Jesus. This is such a raw emotion right now. And we could just read over it so quickly without fully experiencing what she's going through. She she fell at her knees because she couldn't stand anymore. I mean, you felt like that before, right? You just can't can't even get up. And when she finally confronts God, it's the agonizing questions that have been in her heart. Why didn't you do something? Why weren't you here when I needed you? And 
This moment that Mary has is a moment that all of us need to have with God. A moment where we are really transparent for what we're feeling and going through. Some people think that it's irreverent or disrespectful to talk to God that way. And I'm not telling you to tell God F you or anything like that. But I'm telling that when, how can you possibly be close to somebody if you are not transparent with how you're feeling towards them? With my wife, when there is tension between us, we have to speak about it. We have to talk about it. Because if we do not talk about it or fight about it, that tension just becomes a normal thing and it turns into a spite. It turns into a constant agitation and pushes us farther away. But when we confront each other, even though it's uncomfortable, it allows us to expose those raw emotions that we're feeling. And oftentimes, that raw emotion is coming from a, another pain. It's, not, it's usually not that we're really upset at each other, but we're upset about how we're feeling outside of each other. And with this situation... God didn't kill Lazarus. Jesus didn't go and and, and pale Lazarus with his sword. It was something that just happened. And she's bringing that pain to Jesus saying, why didn't you do anything? When it wasn't his fault. But the simple fact is, even if it starts there, we need to go to God like that. Y'all feel me? And continuing on, It says that when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. This is actually the shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. And this is kind of a different take on things, right? It's going to be different with God. Instead of him just mourning and saying the first thing he did was feel compassion or grief, it says a deep anger welled up within him. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Isn't that kind of confusing? Doesn't that make you wonder, like, why is he angry? Why does the Bible say that? Often we think that God is a partner of death. We think that God is the sender of death. But the Bible says in Revelation that he's in the in judgment day that he's going to throw death in the grave into the pit of hell. I mean, I don't know how like death works if it's a grim weep, reaper or not, but it says that he's going to throw death into hell. See, it, sh- it shows that there is a hatred, a strong disliking of death by God. And even in Genesis, it shows that God's original plan for mankind was to live forever. That this was supposed to be heaven before sin entered in. And that with sin, once sin entered in, that it created death, that it created pain, disease, mourning. It created these all these negative things that we feel in the world, evil, all those things that, that sin created that when it came. And so all of our story of mankind being brought back to God and it, us entering into heaven and, and there being no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease, that all of that was what God wanted us from, for us from the beginning. That He never destined us for pain. And so when this, ang- this anger that Jesus is feeling, what I see is that this strong anger towards something that God did not plan to happen. That is a true perversion of this world, that death and pain was a true perversion that God hates. That God does not like to see us in misery. And it makes me think of a father and a child. I love my baby girls. And I love my other, my other kids too. And with the thought that I have, whenever I hear even one of the boys come home and say, someone said this to me, one thing I learned is that, oh my gosh, I can't just like behave as an adult, like I can't go beat up a kid. Like, 
I've realized that now. Because when they first tell me, like, so-and-so said this to me, I'm like, where are they? I'm going to tell them. I'm going to, I'll show them a thing or two. It's, uh, the, my initial reaction is anger uh, towards the justice I feel like my kids deserve. Y'all get what I'm saying? Lauren, she is a mom that you never want to mess with. She's like one of those like super crazy moms that like even if their kid was wrong, she'd probably still defend our girls. <laughs> and she'll go to the park and you know how kids are like, they don't even know what they're doing. And she, she told me the other day that one little girl came up and, and like, like tapped Joy or pushed her like that. And like ran away like giggling and that Joy didn't really, Joy didn't start crying or anything. She just looked confused. And that Lauren's first reaction was like, oh no ma'am, you do not do that to my little girl. Her first reaction is a defense and protection and anger as an emotion. And that's what I connect to Jesus right here. Is that he has an, an anger out of, uh, to want to protect his children, to his people. And this final part where it says that he wept, that his heart breaks when ours breaks. That to know that we go through so much agony, he feels it just as if it's his own. And especially now that I have kids, I really resonate with that so much more. To where when I think about my daughters, my kids ever going through pain, it hurts me. I remember when we took uh, Joy to the doctor one time and they said, well, we think that she might need surgery for this. I, I cried just thinking that my daughter had to experience pain. When they were first born, Jules, when Jules was first born, she broke her collarbone coming out. I cried so bad knowing that she, her first experience in the world was pain like that. It hurt me. And so when we see Jesus wept, it shows that when he's talking to Mary and he's seeing her heart just broken over her brother just dying, he weeps with her because he resonates and wants, wants that, that daughter of his to feel comforted and loved. And to know that she's going through that pain, his heart breaks. Y'all feel that? And we're, we're going to stop here in the story because right after this, Jesus does the miracle. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And now we understand why incredibly grateful Mary is to Jesus, where she pours out this expensive perfume. It's where she doesn't care how she looks in front of anybody else as she wipes her tears from his feet with her hair. But the reason I don't want to go on into the, that part of the story is because it's so easy to look from a third perspective and know the end of the story and feel like, well, Everything worked out for her, so what? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we do that in the Bible. It's where we already know the end of the story, so it's like, oh, well, why are the disciples freaking out? Jesus raises from the dead. Why are they so doubtful? It's so, we have to really stop sometimes and think, what if we just read to the part where Jesus was being crucified and we didn't finish reading about the resurrection, if we didn't know about it? How devastating of a story. That's what it was like for the disciples. For this part of the story, this is what it was like for Mary. She doesn't know the end of the story. All those emotions are there being piled up. And, you know, there's so many questions when we read scriptures like this. There's so many questions that come out of our heart. Well, if Jesus did it then, how come, how come I don't feel like he does it now? Don't you think that sometimes? All these miracles happen and he heals the blind and it, uh, crippled people are able to walk. And look, I'll be the first one to say that there are miracles like that today. A lot less uh, talked about. But I, I've been on mission retreats, missionary retreats and trips to where blind people literally saw. To where people who couldn't walk could walk. I've been and seen miracles like that. But... It's so, it feels so much more rare to happen nowadays. Even if you've seen it, if you experience it, even in seeing it myself and seeing it happen, when I pray for somebody like that, I still am like, they're probably not going to get up. My doubts fill my mind and convince me that my prayers are weak. 
even though I've seen it myself. How much more was it a time when Jesus was walking the earth to where it, like he has so, the spirit of God and it says that he has the spirit of God without limits. The Bible said that he had the spirit of God without limits and he could show up and even to unbelieving people, doubtful people, he could do a miracle and it's like, it's going to happen. That's why it said crowds and crowds of people would surround him because they could see the miracles and the healings being done. And it's like, if you, it's like, if you knew you were going to win the lottery, you would, you would show up. Everyone would show up and get a ticket, right? If everyone was going to, if you played the lottery tonight and you knew a hundred percent that you're going to win a million dollars, no matter how many other people showed up to, would you not buy a ticket? Right? That's what it was for Jesus on earth. And so it makes a lot more sense in, the, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. The Pharisees are asking Jesus, how come your disciples don't fast like we fast? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Implying that then they will mourn too. And Jesus is pretty much saying, the disciples don't need to fast while I'm here. I'm, I'm doing the miracles. I'm raising the dead. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for the sick and they're recovering. But once I leave, they're going to be fasting because now it's all on them. Then they're going to mourn because they're going to experience, they're not, they're not going to have the same kind of hope that they had when I was here on earth. And see, that's why we can read about these stories and it is happening like crazy in Scripture. And we feel like we don't see it that much now. Because the bridegroom was there. He's with us. And that is why we, that is why we fast and mourn until, for Jesus' return. Because until He returns, we are still here in this place of pain, a place of death, where we have to fast for something to happen. Where we have to pray for something to happen. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And it is, it is a moving thing to recognize that God has given us the power to pray for the dead to rise and they rise. It's a powerful thing to recognize that God has given us the Spirit and that He even said Himself that we can do things and even greater than He has done. But it's also a reality and the simple fact that the times are different until he returns. Amen. So let's finish off with, with Mary's story. I want us to look at the very first moment where Mary met Jesus. I feel like we see so, so much of Mary in these two parts of her story. For pouring everything out over Jesus' feet. Her worship is completely different than everybody else. And we see her brokenness before God completely different than everybody else. She is falling at her feet, saying what's really in her heart to Jesus, weeping bitterly in front of Him. Her brokenness is different than everybody else's brokenness. Not that she experienced more or less, but that she brought it to God. That, that imagery of her falling to his feet is where she would pour out her brokenness to. What do we do with our brokenness is we try to carry it all on our shoulders. I'll just keep carrying it for now. I'll just have to be strong. But she was willing to just drop it all at Jesus' feet. Her brokenness was different. Let's see what it was really for Mary at the beginning, that made her different to be someone that was truly close to God. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Let's stop right there. It's another imagery of religion and relationship is right in the verses that we're about to read. 
And so I want you all to compare Martha and Mary. It says, we just read, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Let's stop there. Even at the beginning, Martha was the one that welcomed Jesus in. Martha was the one that brought Jesus to Mary. But it says Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Isn't it funny how stories work sometimes? It's almost like they come full circle. That we see her ending by crying and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And we see at the very beginning, she was sitting, she was sitting at Jesus' feet. She, it's almost like she always, from the beginning, took on this humble attitude towards Jesus. This simple desire. And this comparison between Martha and Mary, it shows that religion and raw devotion... The difference is that religion is is welcoming while raw devotion sits at his feet. Religion is nice and appropriate, but raw devotion is that time where you're just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And there is no plan. There's nothing that you can get out of it. It is just a simple desire and pursuit. And it says that Martha was distracted by the dinner she was preparing and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? And religion alone leaves us distracted and constantly looking at the unfairness of our situation. Religion looks to God without the power of God. And to the point where we can't, uh, when we live in that, 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 religion mindset rather than a relationship mindset it will cause us to be at a point where we can't even be happy for someone else being blessed she can't even be happy for her sister being blessed by god that jesus is taking all this uh, just pouring into her and it looks at everything as unfair when god is close to somebody else you look at it as unfair have you ever thought that to yourself when that first question we, th- we ask ourselves is that what is different about a person that is, that is close to God? And that, that point of does it seem unfair that they're close to God? Sometimes we think that. We get like that. And in the same way that she's misunderstood here, it's not that she's trying to be lazy It's not that she's not trying to take on her responsibilities, but that she's truly seeking God in this moment. And to others, it looks like it's unfair. And she's misunderstood, just like we see at the end of her story. And finally, what does Jesus say to all this? It says, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. This simple desire to know Jesus was a discovery that was right in front of everybody there. Yet Mary was the one who saw it. And when you find this simple pursuit of Jesus and knowing that that pursuit is available to you, that desire, that closeness to God is available to you, once you really catch that, no one can ever take it away from you. And for Mary, seeing her life full circle from beginning to end, the simple thing that was different about her was her desire. Her desire to know God. And for you, And everybody here, I believe that we all have this inclination and this desire to know God. But there's, it's almost like we go through this 
the spell to where we feel like we hit a wall and we don't know what else to do. We think, well, I, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't really know what else I'm supposed to be doing to, to get closer to God. And what I've found to be true, I'm doing more stuff for God now than I ever have in my life. But even now, the most impacting presence I've experienced was, was started in the times where I wasn't doing anything for God. It was in the times where I just had that simple desire, that raw desire to want to know God. And I feel like the moments where I felt like I now I know God are the moments that I feel so dry, the moments where I feel distant, the moments where I now realize my heart is hard. But when I was humble and I knew I, I knew nothing about God, that everything I was finding was something new, I was so humble and so moldable to where anything I experienced with God was, was a gift to where it, it was just poured out more and more because of my gratitude and my grateful heart to where if God, if God wanted to fart on me, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but after spending so much time in church and ministry, it's like even, even an ounce of a drop of God's presence and like, God, I need more. Send me a word. Send me this. I need to see a miracle. Increase my faith. And it's like, nothing is enough for me. I want more. I'm no longer satisfied. And see, it goes back to that simple heart of Mary of being so satisfied to even just be at the feet of Jesus. She didn't need to sit at the table with him. She didn't need to have any honor from him, receive anything from him. All she wanted was to spend time with him. And I feel like that is a, the, the same thing, that thing that is right in front of everybody, yet everybody looks away. It's too simple. It's too simple that it's just raw devotion, just time with God. How is that what makes a person close to God different? There has to be more. But if you, if you were to really talk to people that you believe are close to God, the thing that is consistent with them, and I'm not talking about people that just sound spiritual. I'm not talking about the people that say spiritual things, but then they're like, you get to know them, they're like, I think I'm more spiritual than you. <laughs> I'm talking about the people where you can feel it. You know what I'm saying? It's like just evident. You feel it in your spirit. When you actually talk to them and see what's different about them, they usually pray more. Not that they pray about things more, that they're better like prayer warriors. It's usually just that they spend time with God more than us. And it's just that. Is that to them, spending time with God is a gift and not a chore. And it's a time of gratefulness, not of requests. Y'all get what I'm saying? I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And this message was so moving as I was preparing it. I felt so troubled in my spirit as I was going through it. And it is incredible that God consistently brings us back to basics. It's like he has to tell us over and over to stop complicating things and to just allow this relationship with him to be simple. And if you're here right now and you are one that says, I, I really want to be close to God. I don't want to be like Martha. I don't want to be like Judas. I really want to be like Mary. I want to experience what it's like to have this desire to know Jesus, to want to be with Him. I want to experience what it's like to give God my brokenness instead of carrying it myself. I want to know what it's like to find this personal one-on-one -on -one worship to where my worship is so unique to me that nobody else could fill my shoes. 
that's personal. If that's you here today, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Let me be one to say, the first one to say too, that that's me and my heart. I feel like my prayers have gone cold. My heart has gotten hard. I feel at times like my faith has grown old. And I want, especially during this fast, my prayer is for God to soften my heart. To soften my heart. To soften my heart. And I just want to pray over you guys. Because God, I just believe that God really wants to pour His Spirit out on you. I really believe that God wants to take you to an intimate level with Him. To a deeper place with Him. And just like Mary... I believe that God wants to see you. So God, right now I ask that your spirit finish what you started. And that everything that we're talking about in this message, that it would just impart to our spirits today. That this would not just be another message that we listen to, Not even another message that we just simply appreciate, but let it be a message that is fruitful in our lives and that brings about a change and a difference and that you soften our hearts. We repent to you, God. We ask for you to have your way in us. We want to know you and we desire to sit at your feet. We want to give you our brokenness instead of carrying it ourselves. And we want to find our own unique worship with you. No one else can worship you like each individual person can. So I ask that you help us, God, to find those unique things, those unique ways, and that you cause every person here to feel a new type of ownership of their worship. I ask that you finish what you started in us. And Jesus, I ask that you truly make us one with you. In your name I pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.